Welcome to the Everything Leaves podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, writer at the Leaves Nation. Nick, what do you want to talk about today? I'm, I'm thinking there's not much to talk about. We might have to do the Growlers depth chart. What, do you like the idea? Yeah, whether it's the Marlies or the Growlers, but uh, Leafs have been extremely quiet this week, so we might need to kind of tap into into some real depth here. Uh, have you heard Have you heard of TJ Brody before? Should we talk about him? Maybe I actually have to Google him because okay. I yeah, just for the podcast. You know, I always do preparation for it. So perfect. Okay, let's start with that. We'll work our way down. Uh, we got lots of uh, new players here to discuss. But Nick, what are your thoughts on TJ Brody? It was a four-year deal, $5 million a year. I think he's a legitimate top-four defenseman who's played with Giordano for the last you know, X amount of years. It seems like forever. Uh, what are your thoughts on that signing? Well, I think it's just the perfect signing for the Leafs. You know, he, he's a lefty who, who can play on the right side, can play the left side. Um, you know, just finally Morgan Riley gets a, a partner who is good defensively. And I know in the past, um, I think it was two podcasts ago, we talked about um, all the different you know, methods that the Leafs could fill that right D spot. And I really wanted, obviously I wanted a, a partner for Morgan Riley that could play well defensively, but I also wanted one that could hold his own in terms of moving the puck. You know, we've seen with Riley so many times him have Ron Hainsey on his on his other side and Roman Polak and Nikita Zaitsev and, and guys that just can't really move the puck and we've seen the opposition kind of target that. So TJ Brody, um, so comfortable on the right side. I think he's a great puck mover. When you use actually charting hockey's transition data, which, you know, I would kind of recommend to everyone, it's a really nice supplement to the eye test. Uh, Brody grades out extremely well in terms of his exit ranks. Uh, whether it's his possession exits or passing out. So I think it's just a perfect mix for, for Riley. Brody doesn't really add too much to the offensive end, but I, I think that's where Riley will come in. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see it. I think this is the best top four that the Leafs have had in, in quite a while. So, um, and, and then also when you, when you look at the actual contract, I think the, you know, when you looked at other options like Petrangelo, I felt that that fifth year, sixth year, and seventh year might bite the Leafs. But with Brody, it's a perfect kind of term there where it's four years, it's, it's going to end the exact same time as Jake Muzzin's, and it also, it also just lines up really nice with, with Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and Nylander's contract. So, I mean, this next four years is going to be really interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, when the free agent market opened, I did expect them to get a top four defenseman. Uh, they just needed it. It was quite clear. Last year, really the only established top four defenseman that's a good defender is Jake Muzzin. Uh, obviously, Riley's quite good, but he's, he's more offensively tilted. And then, like, you know, Hall had a fine year, but he's not, he's not an established top four defenseman the way T.J. Brody is. So just adding another one to the mix, I think, was, was key. Uh, I thought Brody was really the only free agent that fit. Uh, you know, Petrangelo is, is, you know, turning 31 in January. Uh, they already have the Tavares contract on the books. They would have had to move heaven and earth in order to to sign him. So, you know, unless he was taking a big hometown discount, I didn't really see that as a as an option. Uh, Chris Tanev, uh, he just got half a million less than than Brody. Uh, hasn't had very good impacts in terms of things like RAPM lately. Uh, I didn't want him. He's a bit injury prone. Uh, I, I wasn't ready to give him four years at least. And then you know, there's there's other guys like. Tory Krug doesn't just fit their needs at all because he's more offensively tilted. And then there's guys like Gudis, Benning, Hamannick. 
but I think they're more third pairing types, and I think we've seen Riley with enough third pairing types by now. I think they needed to get him a, a top four established player. And just looking at, uh, like, I, I did expect them to go the trade route. Like, I was expecting a Uyghur or, or Savard, but I will say that it, this does seem like a pretty reasonable amount for Brody. I was expecting him to get, like, either a fifth year or, or something like 5.5 million. Uh, I am surprised be because of his ability to play both sides, and it is a bit of a weaker side, uh, a bit of a weaker market from the left side, other than Krug, who's, who's not really a shutdown type. So I was expecting a team like the Rangers or, or Calgary, who gave, obviously, Tana four times 4.5. Expecting one of them to, to kind of get in a bidding war at the Leafs and kind of drive him out of the price range, which often happens with free agents. But, you know, I think this was kind of the, the, the most reasonable deal I could expect for, for a player like Brody. Yeah, it's nice to bring another guy that's from Toronto. I don't know if you saw that clip of, of him doing the skills competition as a kid. Yeah, that was cool. That that's crazy, and, and just to see the old like Leafs like Gary Volk and Sundy and, and all those guys be around TJ Brody, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that you know the the term and and the money that Brody got, the fact that he was coming to Toronto probably played a role. Um, I know that he also said that the fact that they did almost trade for him last year and there's obvious interest uh, from the the Leafs management also drove him to to sign. So. Um, I think it's a match made in heaven for them right now, and and hopefully he can you know make an impact in the same way that Jake Muzzin did right away. So, um, you know I'm excited to see this this for this top four because um, you know like I said before we haven't seen one this good in, in a very very long time. So uh, I definitely give high grades to Dubis and the rest of the management on this signing. Yeah, I, I think he was the one. As I said, I think he was the one free agent that fit their needs. It's tough to say if I would have preferred like Savard or Uyghur through the trade route because, you know, they haven't been traded yet and we don't really know what the asking price was there. Um, but I think like, four by four by five is pretty reasonable for for Brody, um, and and there were other reasons that I didn't expect him. So one, as I said, I was expecting more of a bidding war. Uh, two, I was expecting uh, that he'd want protection in the expansion draft, and the Leafs don't have to protect him in the expansion draft. So. I mean, that is very important for the Leafs because it just gives them so many more options. Like, for example, if, if Brody disappoints this year, if he, if he looks like Tyson Berry out there, you don't have to protect him. Um, if, if there's an injury to someone else in the top four early on in the year and, you know, Dermot steps up and looks amazing, then you can protect Dermot. Uh, if, if Hall looks amazing, you can protect Hall. So it just gives them more flexibility in case someone surprises and looks, and looks great this season. Uh, and it, it almost reminds me of like a, a player option in baseball. Like if you don't protect mm. Brody and they take him, well, you probably got a good year out of him because they're taking him for a reason. And that deal's also backloaded. So like you could just go and, and you know, respend that $5 million next off season after he gets taken um, and, and you have a good year out of him. So it seems just like a win-win in that regard. Uh, it's also a modified no trade in year four, so they can get out of that deal if they want to. Uh, the deal is backloaded. I think it's seven and a half million in the last year, but you know, as we saw with Marlowe, at least they have that option where you know if if Brody looks terrible, if it's a terrible signing and and everything kind of you know goes poorly here, uh, at least they can get out of it in that fourth year, and it's just it's just three years. But uh, I do think this is a good player who fits their needs and. Uh, I'm certainly excited to see the Leafs 
uh, as a team that's a little bit better defensively next season. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think the word flexibility that you use there is a really good kind of, you know, really describes this really well. Even in-game, like, one of the biggest problems the Leafs have had over the last few years, last year they got a little bit better at it, but still not really even league average, was defending when they have the lead. Um, and I think getting TJ Brody just allows them to be a lot more flexible in terms of their their defensive lineup and their their duos that they throw out there like if you are back in the like back last year you know you're really relying on Justin Hall to play on the right side next to Jake Muzzin when you're up in the lead and now you can combine Jake Muzzin and TJ Brody if you you know down the stretch and and have that even a pairing if you're up so you know they also got Zach Bogosian there that we'll talk about a little later but I just think they're a lot more flexible whether they're in the lead whether they're down I mean then you obviously have Morgan Riley playing more, Travis Dermott playing more. And, and you know, I think that Brody and Muzzin are good enough in terms of transition and bringing the puck into the offensive zone uh, through their puck moving that you can play them. So um, just a lot more flexible, even in-game, uh, not only in their contracts. Yeah, just to add to that, too, uh, Brody can play either side. So last year in the, play, well, in the play-in series against Columbus, we saw Muzzin go down. So if that happened this year, you could just move Brody to the left side. He plays the left side a fair amount anyways. Uh, he is a left shot, after all. Um, and, and, and you can put Brody on your shutdown pairing with someone like Hull if you want. Uh, you, can, you, could, you don't have to play him with Riley. You could play him with Jake Muzzin if, if Hull's struggling with him. Like You, you just have so many options there. Um, I, I, I guess the last thing I'll say on Brody is that there is some risk. Uh, he did grade out extremely well by RAPM last season. He looked like a great play driver. He looked like a great player both offensively and defensively. But, you know, the results year to year haven't been as consistent as someone like Jake Muzzin. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that this is a, a pretty worthwhile gamble. It does seem like a, a reasonable contract at first glance. Uh, and again, if, if, it, if it's not going well after year one, you don't have to protect him in the expansion draft, and you can potentially get it out of it after three years. So uh, I, I do think that uh, it's, it, it certainly looks like a reasonable signing at first glance. I don't know, as I said, that if I would prefer Uyghur or Savard, because we don't know what the price was. But uh, if they were going to sign a, a, a big free agent defenseman, I'm, I'm glad it is TJ Brody. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think now that we're talking about kind of the price and you know tj brody they did sign him and they didn't have to trade for him like they would have for savard and for uh mackenzie Weger if they went that route but they did have to clear some cash some cap um and it came in the form of trading in andres Janssen. so i'll say this about Janssen. i mean he is if you've listened to this podcast before you would know that i'm a big fan of his game um as a prospect he was a seventh rounder who really in the SHL, his results were really good. That's when I kind of fell in love with him. Then he came up with the Marlies um, and was one of their best, but well, pretty much was their best player actually in the, the AHL Calder Cup that run that year. Um, he really carried them offensively and just kind of did it all. Um, so I kind of fell in love with him during that run. And then even when he came with the, with the Leafs, I thought he was, he was good, just ran into some injuries and some bad luck last season. So it's going to be tough to see him go, but um, you know, this is, Kind of the name of the game, right? Yeah, and good segue there to Janssen. Look at you today with the segues, Nick. Yes, it's well, when it comes to Janssen, I uh, I had to bring it up right away. All right, well, perfect. 
So with Janssen, I'll say that I thought the writing was on the wall here. Uh, we knew his name had been out there for quite some time. Uh, the Leafs' first priority was to was to get a top four defenseman. I think everyone understands why. And there was a price to be paid because, you know, they were going to be over the salary cap, whether it was Savard, whether it was Uyghur, or whether it was Brody. Um, no one really wanted to see them do like a patchwork job. I think we wanted to see a legitimate top four defenseman, and uh, Janssen was that price. Um, I will say that I do think, as you, I think you agree as well, we both think he's a good player that's capable of playing in the top six. Uh, I think he's going to have a lot of success in New Jersey. Um, whether that be, you know, if he's playing with Heischer or Hughes, look out, because this is a guy that can go to the net and, and certainly score 20-plus goals. Um, so I, I do think the Leafs get worse off as a result. I think that's clear from trading Janssen, if you just looked at that deal in isolation. Um, but they did get a nice piece back in Joey Anderson, who who really reminds me of Connor Brown. I watched a couple of games uh, this morning, um, you know, just simming the shifts that he was off. I just fast-forward, but... Uh, he does remind me of Brown. He's hardworking. He penalty kills. I don't think he has a ton of offensive talent, but you know he's small. He's smaller, but he's he is quite strong and quite heavy. Um, I, I think he's going to be a coach's favorite. I think he's close to NHL ready. He's already got some NHL games under his belt. And if you look at the market right now, like Craig Smith signed for, I believe it was less than what Janssen makes. So uh, I do think it's very tough to move money in this market. I wasn't expecting much of a return. Uh, Anderson's actually a little bit more than I was expecting. Uh, I don't know if like the fact that Janssen makes a little bit less, like salary-wise, than his cap hit. I want. I don't know if that kind of helped, but um, I, 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 this is the guy I was expecting to go. Uh, I do think that you know they're a little bit weak up front right now, and and maybe we'll touch on kind of next steps of the offseason later. But uh, all in all, I think it's it's kind of a you know, a, a pretty straightforward move to the for the Leafs. They kind of had to do it. They, I, I think they just basically put his name out there and took the best offer. Yeah, the thing with Joey Anderson is, you know, he's a lot younger than Janssen. I think that over the next few years, you hope that he can kind of take the next step. And actually today he said that he's looking to become kind of the next Zach Hyman or, or kind of like a Zach Hyman. So I think that's a great path to go to, especially for a 22-year-old that has that type of skill set. Um but yeah, I'm glad you brought up the bottom six. I think that's my biggest concern going forward with the Leafs is obviously that bottom six has gotten a lot worse. Um, I think that they're going to have to make a signing or a trade to kind of bolster that. You know, when you when you kind of look at those bottom two lines, you have Kerfoot in this, at probably third line center. Uh, I would put Nick Robertson on the left wing and then let's say Wayne Simmons uh, on the right. So right away, I think Kerfoot's fine there. Robertson, his first year, I think that's putting a lot of trust into to a rookie as even though as, as high as I am uh, on him I think that it is he is still quite young very young um, and then with Wayne Simmons he hasn't really had good results in a few years so you know kind of having him in that's as a solid third line I think is a bit of a too big of an ask right now so then with the fourth line I think Spets is fine there I think he's an overqualified fourth line center um, but then again with the wings I Engvall is fine there I just don't know whether at 1.25 whether he will be there next season and then also Barabano's first season um, in the NHL so you know I think that they do need to get a little bit more solid in that bottom six uh, especially after watching the Leafs against Columbus I think it was clear there was a huge drop-off from the second to third line so you know you want to have a good third line especially when you're going up against teams like 
Uh, they're going to have to beat Boston. They're going to have to beat Tampa Bay next year, who have very, very, very good third lines. So, and, and for the most part, most playoff teams do have two good offensive lines. So you need that third line to be good. So I think that is the next step for the Leafs is, is to kind of bolster that bottom six. Yeah, I'll agree with you there, and I'll, I'll provide some ideas uh, later on here. Um, you know, I think even uh, Joey Anderson can at least compete for a role this year. Uh, he's a right shot, and it seems like they have a ton of options on the right shot, uh, on, on the right side. Uh, Simmons is definitely on the right side. Spatsa can play right wing. Barabanov can play right wing. Korshkov can play right wing. Maligan can play right wing. Boyd, who we'll get to later, can play right wing. Like They just have so many options there. Um, so I think Anderson might start with the Marlies. We'll see. Um, but you know, it is a good piece. Uh, I think Hyman is a little bit optimistic. I think, you know, everyone who's not that skilled wants to be Zach Hyman. Um, I don't know if he has the, the size and speed and and just tenacity. I think that's kind of like the best case scenario. Um, I'll be pretty happy if he ends up being Connor Brown, just a, a serviceable fourth line to third line guy. Uh, who, who kind of is just responsible defensively, can do it all. Um, uh, that That's kind of my hope for him, um, watching him. And I think that'd be a perfectly good return for, for Janssen. I think uh, the Kapanen trade, as we've alluded to in the past, uh, that was a haul. Like I, I was not expecting to get a 15th overall pick for him, plus another pretty good prospect in Hollander. Um, so I, like you look at the, the deals going around the league right now, and like no one's taking Tyler Johnson for free um, because he makes five million. So it is tough to move money. I think it just kind of speaks to how good the Capitan trade was that they were able to to do this um, or, or to get a fifteenth pick for him. Um, so I, I do think that you know it is a solid move for the Leafs, but I think it's pretty straightforward that you know his name was out there. They took the best offer. I wanted to get your thoughts on one thing. So uh, Anthony Petrelli, Maple Leafs Hot Stove, had said. Uh, on Twitter, I believe that that you know he thought Janssen was better than than Kerfoot. Uh, I don't know if he said that he would move Kerfoot first, but you know I was kind of implying that. And then I was watching Steve Dangle's video on the trade, and he was saying you know they need a center. Like I would have traded Janssen first. Uh, Nick, what camp are you in there? Um, well, I mean, Kerfoot played a little bit of left wing. I think. If you're comparing it that way, I think Janssen's, I don't want to say a lot better, but I think he's definitely better than Kerfoot. Um, the fact that Kerfoot can play center in terms of just their trade value and overall value to the team definitely kind of changes things. I think Janssen's the better player. Um, I think both at their best, Janssen's easily the better player. I think he's at better results. I think he complements be- good players a lot better. Um, off the puck, I think he's better. Um, Kerfoot is a very good puck carrier and a pretty good um playmaker but I, I think I would still think Janssen's better player overall but the fact that Kerfoot can play center and is it was a pretty good center for the Leafs last year at 3C uh, makes it closer than but I, I guess I would give it to Janssen so you'd just hold, hold sample size in so general I guess to rephrase this question here because I still don't know your answer let's say this is the final roster would you rather have Janssen or Kerfoot like would you rather who would you rather trade Oh, I see. Well, yeah, that's a different question. Um, well, in this case, it would be Janssen. Yeah, I, I think that the Leafs have don't really have left wingers that... I mean, sorry, they don't really have centers that are, can jump up into that third-line center role right now. Um, 
I don't think Jason Spezza like over a full season would be would be good there. And you know they do have the Leafs do have Pierre Engvall and Nick Robertson who can step up into that third line left wing role if Mikheyev's in the top six. So for that reason, I, I will say that Janssen, I would rather trade Janssen. Okay. Um, but it's more about the depth that's behind them rather than the player themselves. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I stand as well. I think the Leafs center depth they they needed to keep Kerfoot until they get another option at least. Um, so I think. I thought Janssen was a goner for that reason. Um, I do think that Kerfoot can play center. I think he's a perfectly fine third-line center. Um, I, I really don't have any doubt about that. Uh, we'll talk about kind of future moves later. I do think there's still a chance that they could move Kerfoot. Uh, we'll get to that later. But I do think that the Janssen trade was kind of, uh, was kind of you know, easy to see, uh, easy to predict. Uh, I, I thought it was going to happen yesterday. Like I didn't think it was going to take long for, for Dubas to make that move. His name's been out there for a while. I think they just took the best offer, as I said. Uh, but I will say that you know I do think Janssen's a good player, and uh, th- the depth is a bit of an issue right now. Uh, one player they did sign for the depth, Nick, was Wayne Simmons. Right. Uh, what, they got him for $1.5 million. They had some grit. They had some veteran leadership. What did you think of that signing? <laughs> well... I tweeted, a, I think it was a year or two ago, where on one side it said what we think Dubis looks at when he wants to acquire players. And it was just a, a it was a chart with, with some different things on it, like just your typical analytics chart. And then on the right, it was just a list of Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, like former Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. So, and Wayne Simmons is obviously on that list. So, you know, I think going forward, now they have Jack Campbell on that list, Muzzin, um, obviously Sandine. Mac Hollowell and, and now Wayne Simmons. So I think we should just start using that chart of like former Sioux Greyhounds that Dubis is going to be interested in. But but no, I mean, I wrote actually earlier this week about the pros and cons of signing Wayne Simmons. Um, I think that I wanted him to be lower per year. I, I said that right now Korshkov's at 9.25, sorry, 9.25, 925,000. Um, and that... If the Leafs are looking to get tougher in that bottom six, I think Korshkov's really the only player below Simmons that could kind of compete there. I don't have Korshkov in my starting lineup, regardless of if Simmons is there, but I think that's his really his only competition if the Leafs want to fill that role. But um, So I said that I wanted it to be lower than 900, but it's come at 1.5. It's a little higher than I wanted, but I'm not going to kind of be upset over 500K um, of an overpayment. But when it comes to Simmons, I think he will help the team, especially having a net front presence where they've really missed having a net front presence since JVR left um, in their bottom six. Also on the second power play, I think that right now they're kind of just running it through Jason Spezza so, and hoping that he kind of either playmakes or his shot is able to, to create a goal. But I think having a, a real net front presence in front of the net is going to really help them, especially if he plays with Nick Robertson, a guy who who shoots the puck, you know, at, at very high volume. So there's going to be a ton of rebounds and tipping opportunities there. So, uh, and obviously he also fills kind of a, a need that the Leafs have right now that they want to get tougher. Uh, they want to get better on the forecheck. So I think Simmons will be good there. Now, Simmons isn't a young player and he is years removed from having good results in terms of play driving and just overall defensive impact. Um, so... I mean, they're going to have to almost hope that he kind of resalvages 
a little bit of what made him so good back in the day. Um, so there is some risk, but again, it's a one-year deal. Um, there's not that much risk. So, you know, overall, I think I'm happy with it. You know, you get a hometown guy back. He's a very likable player. So uh, I'm excited overall. Yeah, so am I. I had Simmons to the Leafs in my free agent predictions post. I, I think we knew that they were going to add, they like they wanted to add some grit and leadership to the bottom six. We saw them trade for Kyle Clifford during the season. Uh, I thought they were going to replace him in some capacity. And we kind of knew they weren't going to go for like the Colton or pure enforcer type. So, you know, some will argue that they should have used this money to sign like a smaller skilled player. You know, but there's 31 teams that want some grit on their roster, and I'm, I'm not going to knock them too much for, for going this route. Uh, I like Simmons personally. I'm going to be rooting for him. I think he's going to be a, a hometown favorite. Um, you know, if you're going to add some grit and leadership, I think this is the way you do it. Like, you don't give, and I think we can obviously both agree on this, is you don't give big term and big dollars to, like, the Lucic, Clarkson types. Mike Comisonic. Uh, you don't do that. You don't. <laughs> uh, like, you don't give four years to Matt Martin. Um, you don't use your first-round pick to try to get these guys. Um, you don't give up, you know, a, a haul and a trade. You just sign a guy. Like, he's, it's only 800000 more than the league minimum. Um, and, and, you know, there's, a, there's at least a chance he bounces back. Like, he's, he's two years removed from being, like, you know, a 45-point player uh, or, or more. Uh, I think he scored, he scored 17 goals last year. Um, and he's he's only thirty two. Like it's not like he's like you know he's not thirty eight where you think he he's for sure done. But um, you know it, it's worth acknowledging that he's been kind of horrendous in terms of goals above replacement and expected goals above replacement over the last two seasons. Uh, you know health is a kind of a question here because he says he's healthier than he was in the past with with kind of the layoff here. Um, but you know as long as he's on the fourth line, I'm, I'm not too concerned. Uh, I think he brings kind of what they're looking for. Um, I, I do think that the risk, and you know, similar to Bogosian, with who we'll touch on shortly here, but I think the, the real risk is that he plays too much. Like if he's playing with Matthews or Tavares, I think we're going to be a little bit pissed off. Uh, if he's playing even on the third line and he's struggling, I think we're going to get you know pretty frustrated. But you know, if if Keith is playing him on the fourth line, uh, if he if he's getting some you know second power play time, uh, I think we're going to like this player like I, I think he's perfectly fine as a fourth line player uh, as long as he's not uh, over overplayed I'm, I'm pretty happy with this acquisition yeah and and one thing I will say also is you know this is kind of up for for debate still but there has been some research done Ian Tullock actually had a really good article on it uh, I think it was a year ago or two years ago just about how the more penalties you take it tends to look like the more power plays you're going to get as a team. And last year, the Leafs were in the bottom five in terms of committing penalties and in getting power plays. And that's been kind of a, a trend over the last couple of years. So not saying that Wayne Simmons is going to go out there and, and commit a lot of minors, but you know, sometimes if you have players that are going to kind of going to kind of go over that line sometimes and, and, and play with a little bit of grit and, you know, you hope that there's more power plays because the Leafs really haven't gotten many opportunities over the past two years um, to, to kind of unleash that really good power play. Uh, and they do have, it's been pretty much a top five power play in terms of conversion over the past two years. So you, you hope that they get as many attempts as you can. So getting guys like Bogosian and, and Simmons, I, I think does help in that regard in terms of getting them more opportunities. 
Yeah, I just I think it's a, a player that Leafs fans are really gonna like as long as he's on the fourth line. Um, you know, I do think it might make it a bit tougher for Dubas to you know continue to add depth because you know it is one point five, not eight hundred thousand. But you know, the Leafs didn't have much of a choice here uh, if they wanted him because Montreal had a bigger offer. Uh, he took less already to, to sign with the Leafs. Um, one thing I'll say is, you know, as we're recording here, it looks like Kyle Clifford just signed at the Blues. Um, we don't have the, the numbers yet, so we'll uh, I'll update you later because it it'll be kind of cool to see, you know, where Clifford came in versus Simmons. Uh, but I do think that, you know, Clifford brings a little bit more scoring punch to the table. Um, you know, even though the kind of the, the RIPM impacts haven't been great, the, the goals above replacement haven't been great the last two years, I think there's still a chance he can come back to what he was. And, Sorry, did you, you mean uh, Simmons there? Simmons uh, gives a little bit more of a scoring punch. Yeah, Simmons does. And uh, I, I just think, you know, th- there's little risk here. I, I, as long as they're not going to, like, you kind of have to trust the coach. And we'll get to Bogosian in a sec because I think that's going to be similar. Definitely. Um, but but as long as he's playing kind of in, in a proper role for him, if he's playing fourth line at this stage of his career, I'm not going to knock it too much because I do think that he, he brings what they're looking for. Exactly. Yeah, and and maybe we'll segue into, into Bogosian here. But I, I do want to say this. It feels like we kind of go through a cycle where um, the Leafs lose in the playoffs and... Dubis signs or acquires a player that is quite gritty. We saw this after the Jake Muzzin um, trade where everyone was talking about how he's kind of, oh, well, now he's changing his ways and he thinks that gritty hockey is important. And we've seen that with the Bogosian signing and with Simmons. But, like, I mean, he's not really new to this. I think he traded a few pieces for Jake Muzzin, a player that, while he is a very good play driver and, and good defensively, he also is very gritty. We saw him... Um, this management trade for and include Kyle Clifford last year. It sounded like they really wanted to re-sign him. So I don't know. I, I just don't think that this whole Dubis only like skill thing is, is really even a thing. I feel like he's even with the Marlies, like he had players like Vincent Moverd and Mason Marchman on the team. And, and like that wasn't a very easy team to play with, although it was built off of skill. He does like to supplement that skill with, Greedy players. He signed Ilya Mikheyev. It really values guys like Zach Hyman. So I don't know. I, I just think that we we kind of need to get past that whole narrative that this team is built off of all skill, and that all of a sudden, just because he's gotten Zach Bogosian and and Wayne Simmons, that all of a sudden he cares about grit. Now, in saying that, the Zach Bogosian signing really surprised me. Like I think my jaw dropped when I saw it yesterday. I don't know if it did it surprise you at all. No, I was expecting it. I thought they were going to get Bogosian, that type. I didn't expect Bogosian, though. I, I thought that type. I just didn't think Bogosian himself, which, um, you know, I, I have no problem with him. I think that with him, he played very well in the playoffs uh, with Tampa Bay. We, we saw him kind of fit in there. But you kind of hope that he has, like, pretty good defensive results, depending on, like you said before, like how the coach uses him. So... I've already seen some people put him into the top four, and I think that's where I run into problems. Um, if that tends to be the case, I think if he's the sixth defenseman, if he's the seventh defenseman, I have no problem with it. Um, we know that Sheldon Keefe likes to be flexible, and he likes to change his lineup or game plan depending on who the opponent is. So, you know, if they're playing Boston in a series, a good team that has a very good power play who 
likes to play that kind of gritty hard style. I don't mind Bogosian being in the lineup. Um, but, you know, when you have Travis Dermott and Rasmus Sandin and, and Miko Letnin in that kind of bottom pairing conversation, um, I definitely don't think Bogosian should be in that top four playing over guys like that on a nightly basis. I don't know if I don't know if you kind of stand the same way there. Yeah, I like I don't know what people are saying on Twitter on your timeline, but they signed up for one million. So I'm not expecting like it's not like this is a you know a four million dollar guy that that is you have to put in your top four because that's what you're paying him. Like I, I'm expecting him to play on the third pairing, almost replacing what CC did or what Roman Polak used to do. Um, you know when he got bought out in February, I did not want Zach Bogosian, uh, but just watching him in Tampa. Uh, you see him like he is a useful NHL player. And Tampa made it work with Dan Girardi the year before. And I don't know if you saw my tweet about Bogosian signing, but uh, I, I kind of have a theory that if you're a defensive-only defenseman, like if, you, if you're defense first and that's all you do, I think, I think they tend to struggle on bad teams because they can't really change that other than just you know playing good defense. Uh, when they get the puck, there's not much they can do other than just make a simple pass to a teammate and kind of hope that the teammate uh, goes in and generates offensive zone time. So uh, I, I do think that, like, Bogosian, when you had him with, like, guys like Hedman and, and all the skill and, and speed and carrying ability that Tampa has, I thought he looked fine. He's, he's a good net front defender. Um, you know, and I'm comparing it, like, when I'm playing, like, ball hockey, like, there are some people that are great defenders but just can't move the puck. And if they're out there... And, and, you know, the other team has, you know, great players on the ice. They're going to get their teeth kicked in because they're not going to be able to hold the puck long enough. They're not going to be able to, you know, transition it. But if they're playing with good players, then they're pretty useful. Like, they're, they're going to take away the net front opportunities. Um, they'll transition the puck. Uh, you kind of let your skilled guys do their thing, and he can just do his role. So I don't mind this signing at all. I think, you know... As you said, there is definitely a risk that you know Keith overplays him. I'd be a little bit more concerned if if Babcock was still here, just based on some of the things he did during his tenure um, with overplaying guys. But uh, I think it's a fine signing on its face. Uh, he can he can play th- on the third pair. He can take a bunch of defensive zone starts. He can kill penalties. He can add some physicality and some size. Uh, he's not a stranger to being healthy scratched. Like, he was bought out by Buffalo, for goodness sakes. This guy has, is not going to be, like, a big... He shouldn't be a big complainer if he's healthy scratched once or twice. Um, you can go seven defensemen. Like, I wouldn't mind doing that sometimes, where, you know, Miko Lettinen can play more if you're down. Bogosian can play more if you're ahead. Uh, we still don't really know what, what Bogosian... Uh, sorry, what Lettinen's going to be. I think they're going to play him. I think they'll give him an opportunity. But, you know, you can rotate him and, out, him and Bogosian in and out. You can go, you know seven defensemen some nights. I'm sure there's going to be injuries. And if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you're going to need to be like eight, nine defensemen deep. So I, I do think this is a good insurance policy if, if Lentinen's not good. And uh, I, I'm not against this signing as much as I would have been back in back in February. Yeah, I'm definitely open to it. But one question I do want to ask is, and this is kind of also just kind of reading the, the temperature on my timeline, is... The future of Justin Hall. Now, I don't think Zach Bogosian really changes Justin Hall's future at all. Um, I do think the signing of TJ Brody might. Now, I still still think Justin Hall is is a good hockey player. Uh, I think him and Muzzin worked quite well. If they go into the next into next season with that being their shutdown pair, I think I'd be okay with it, especially having Brody there as 
kind of like a buffer that if they are up in the lead, then they could put Muzzin and Brody together. But do you see Justin Hall on this team next year? And if they do move him, do you think there is room that the Leafs can make a trade or, or acquire another right defenseman? Okay, so with Hall, I think the Muzzin-Hall pairing worked well last year. I think that was one of the one one of the things you can look at that team and say, you know, what worked, what didn't work. That would certainly be in the what worked category, and that's really the only thing you could say about their defense. I don't think pairing two was good. I don't think pairing three was good. So uh, the other thing is you signed Brody because I hope they signed Brody because you need a partner for Morgan Riley. We've been going year after year after year for far too long without a good partner for Morgan Riley. So he needs to play with someone good. Like that is my top priority is let's get Riley a good partner. So I would certainly like, I do think you could move Hall if, you know, there's a great deal out there and you're like, okay, we need the cap space. Why not? Um, but unless, unless there's a great deal out there, I think you keep Hall. I think you run back the Muzzin Hall pairing. I think you start with a Riley Brody pairing and see how it goes. You can always make adjustments, like you know, if if Brody isn't working well with Riley or if Hall kind of regresses, maybe you switch it up then. But you know, I think depth on the right side is so important, and, and you know, it, it's kind of funny after years and years of complaining about the depth on the right side. Now we're we're thinking about trading one away. Exactly. Um, <laughs> If, if there is a move like a, a Savard with retention, I, I'd consider it. I don't think Uyghur is going to be realistic um, unless they're moving Kerfoot as well, which is kind of another conversation. But um, like you would need Savard with retention or something like that for it to make sense. Uh, but I, I do think that I expect, uh, I do expect Hall on the team next year. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel really about it. Um, I don't think it's it's risky to take him into next year. He's on a very good contract at $2 million. I think that's very useful. Um, and also, I, I put a poll out yesterday, again, kind of in, in in response to the temperature I saw about on my timeline um, regarding Justin Hall. And I said after hearing Dubis say that he expects Dermot to play on the right side this upcoming season, who would you rather have in the top four on the right side? And it was between Justin Hall and Travis Dermott. 64%, almost 65% uh, of people voted Travis Dermott. Now, I can see the reason why a lot of people do would want to vote Travis Dermott there. I think he is a legit top four defenseman. But I think for now, I, I would rather have Justin Hall there. I think him and Muzzin worked well, obviously. Um, so I, I do want to see him on the team. If Travis Dermott works very well on that third pairing on the right side, then I have no problem kind of bumping him up and seeing him play with Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin makes everyone else look good. Um, so I think a Muzzin-Dermott pairing would look pretty good. But, you know, if that's going to be your shutdown pair, because I don't want Riley, you know, even though he's with Brody, I don't want a Riley-Brody pairing to go up against top competition. So, like, I don't really want to kind of mix around right right at the beginning anyway to uh with that hall muzzin pairing so i think if dermot plays well on that third pairing you can you can maybe try it out but for now just you haven't had a good matchup pairing in quite a while so just keep muzzin and and, and hall together for now so so my vote would have gone to justin hall but uh, i can see why 65 percent of people voted travis dermot 
Yeah, I would start with Mazenhal just because it worked last year. And then, you know, if it continues to work, just leave it. If it's not working, then maybe make a change. What I'll say about Dermott is he's a good third-pairing defenseman. I think that's clear. He's he's done it his whole career. He's had good results there his whole career. Um, so I, I think you need someone on the third pair who can jump up to top four when needed because there is going to be some sort of injury throughout the year, I have to assume. Uh, you need someone that can do it. Um, as we saw, like with Muzzin getting hurt in the playoffs this year, you know, you better have someone there that's that's ready to step up. Uh, I am kind of, I'm not too sure what they'll do in terms of like ice time and, and who plays and who doesn't because I know Dubas had said that they envisioned Dermot playing the right side um, and then they signed Bogosian. So to me, you know, one of them or Hall is going to be out. Uh, as long as they're like, I would like to just do a rotation off the start, like, you know, tell everyone you're, you're, you're sitting out every third game just so you get a look and, and, and seeing all the combinations, you can evaluate that way. Um, but I, I, I do think that I'd probably say Hall at this point. Uh, it's not that I'm against moving Hall if the right deal comes along. Like if you like if you get a great forward at a bargain price or if you think you can get a guy like David Sabard, like maybe you consider it. But at this stage, I like the depth of the blue line. I'm happy with it finally. You know, let's kind of celebrate that. Let's not make any moves unless, you know, something kind of clear pops up. Um, I guess the only other move... Oh, and, and by the way, Kyle Clifford signed two years, one million. So uh, lower on the AAV, but he did get the extra year. Uh, and again, it's kind of tough to evaluate because, you know, the Leafs kind of jumped on Simmons as soon as, you know, the 12 o'clock hit. Uh, I don't know what, you know, if, if Clifford's asking price was higher at the time and kind of fell down now. Um, but you know, I, I, I do think I prefer Simmons to Clifford. Uh, I just think he brings more offense. I, I didn't really like, you know, I didn't think Clifford was great as a leaf, but you know, I, I'm not really too fussed about Clifford versus Simmons. Yeah. Apparently I read that Clifford was offered three years by the Leafs. I think it was three years, one, one mil each year. So, um, I don't know how true that is. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Myrtle, but it was someone with the athletic, um, that that's what the Leafs offered him. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would prefer one year to Simmons over two or three years of Clifford uh, for, yeah. for similar reasons that you said. Yeah, it's kind of uh, close because, you know, you do get the extra half a million of cat space and Clifford's bearable. But, you know, I'm not too... Uh, I don't think too many other fan bases are getting caught up in, you know, who the fourth line winner is. Yeah, uh, only ours. Probably not worth uh, an hour discussion, but the last guy I'll touch on here, he was kind of a smaller free agent signing, does have some free, does have some NHL experience, I think he's played like 85 games, something something like that. Travis Boyd, uh, he was on the Capitals, a uh, little bit undersized, not great at face-offs, but he has played some center. Um, you know, if he is on the depth roll, you could have like an Engvall or, or a Spezza help him with draws. Uh, I'm sure like that player would would take the face-offs, even if Boyd is technically the center. Um, you know, but he's, he's been a, a pretty established AHL scorer. Uh, you know, he could, it was the league minimum, he could help the Marlies and, and you know, be kind of like a first-line player for the Marlies, or he could compete for a Dubs job. Any any thoughts on Travis Boyd? Yeah, I'll say this. I, I, he was a pretty decent 5-on-5 producer last year. He only played 24 games, so some sample sample bias could be coming into this, but... Uh, he finished fifth in total points per 60 last year with the Capitals, uh, ahead of guys like Kovalchuk, Carlson, Oshie, Hagelin. Again, only played 24, 
24 games, but um, I mean, it's a low risk, decent reward signing for the Leafs. Um, if he plays fourth line center, awesome. Um, if he doesn't, if he's kind of a depth guy or plays with the Marlies, I think that's fine too. But uh, one year, 700K, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, agree there. I think, uh, you know, his RPM impact, I believe, are quite good. He's kind of scored quite a bit in the past. I don't, I'm not expecting much. Like, I think it'll be like a Melgan type where, you know, maybe he makes it, maybe he doesn't. Um, but you need guys like this. as Because we watch the Marlies, we'll kind of be excited just because, you know, they were kind of bad last year. I think they'll, they kind of need the help. So if he is a Marley, I'm happy because I get to watch, you know, a better team play. Uh, and, and, you know, if he's a Leaf great like you know it's there's no risk here you give him a shot if he looks great then then perfect if he doesn't look good then he's with the marlies uh they have plenty of other options so yeah nothing to really knock i guess on this one definitely not um if he does go to the marlies i'd be happy too i think last year was a bit rough but um they, they, they need some 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 fresh talent there to to make those games bearable Okay, I want to get your thoughts on one more thing, and then we'll move on to the draft. So, I, I guess the knock on this Leafs roster, it's pretty clear. Like, they need a third-string goalie, but I'm not going to fuss about that. I think, you know, we just want, you know, the best guy they can get. Um, but in terms of, when you look at this roster, Nick, and I know you were alluding to this earlier, is, is the depth on the defense looks pretty good right now. Like, you have German on your third pairing, you have Lettinen, Bogosian, Marinson, Rosen, Sandine, Lilligren, you got plenty of guys uh, in terms of depth on the blue line. Up front, I think you have a lot of guys that can play on the fourth line, like Simmons, Korshkov, Boyd, Melgin, uh, Barabanov, Spezza, Engvall. But you don't really have... Uh, I, I guess you could certainly see that the third line is, has fallen off. You've traded Kapanen, you, you traded Janssen, you were two pretty good players. They didn't have the best year last year, but... You know, you're kind of expecting quite a bit from them. And I look at a team like Tampa, where they lost Steven Stamkos, their captain, they're, they're, you know, a huge goal scorer, and they still had the depth to win. And I look at this Leafs team, and, you know, right now I would kind of guess that it'd be Mikhaev on the second line. It'd be like a, you know, Kerfoot with Robertson, and, and I don't really know who that third player is. Like, do you go Engvall? Do you go Spets on the third line? But if, if there's an injury or two, like if you get, if Nylander or Marner misses some time or, you know, God forbid, Matthews or Tavares, I don't know if they're like that well set up in terms of depth, uh, kind of in that middle six range. What do you think of the Leafs forwards right now? And, and do you think there's, there could be another move on the horizon? I hope there's another move on the horizon. I think this is, they've, just the makeup of the team is very different from last year. I think last year they were very top-heavy offensively and, and really didn't have much to offer other than that top pairing last year. I know they ran into some injuries on defense, but this year it's it's, it's completely different. They've the, the guys that they've acquired are quite good defensively. Um, they're bottom six, other than Simmons, obviously. Um, but I, I think that bottom six just looks completely different and, and kind of similar to what you said, just to add to it. They don't have anyone in their third line other than Kerfoot who has recent results of being a good third liner or even higher in the lineup. Um, Simmons is years, years removed. Verbanov's first year in the NHL. Robertson's full, first full year in the uh, NHL. Engvall mostly played fourth line minutes last year, and when he was on the third line, it was kind of 
very good at the beginning, not so good kind of the second half of his season. So I do want them to make a move. Um, and there are some free agents out there. I know one that I'm looking at is maybe one of the more obvious ones is, is Josh Levo, uh, a guy that they traded, wasn't getting much playing time for for, for a reason in Toronto, but um, was very good with the Vancouver Canucks. Now, the thing with him is, is obviously injuries. He's had some problems in the last uh, two years uh, in terms of missing games and what the price would be coming back. Now, it is July... Oh, sorry, July. Jeez. August, uh, October 11th, so a couple days after the free agency started. So I don't really know how much interest is in him right now, but uh, or if he has kind of any intention of coming back to Toronto, but if he could take you know a low-term good contract to come back then maybe the Leafs could squeeze him in um, but I think he's he's kind of that perfect guy that can add offense he's got a good shot and is defensively responsible to and he's and he's been good um, in Vancouver's middle six over the last two years so I would love to take see them take a swing there yeah I think it's gonna be tough like I'm just looking at their cap situation now so and... tight that's the problem yeah so they have about like the the roster I'm expecting, which would be, you know, in this case I'm cutting like Malgan, I'm cutting you know everyone I possibly can. I kind of go in the bare bones here. Um, it doesn't seem Robertson's on the team, but they have about two point six five in cap space, and that would be running one spare, and they still have to sign Dermot Mikhaev. So I do think, and and Myrtle touched about on this on his article yesterday. Um, I do think that. You know, I think there's a good chance Dermot takes his qualifying offer, which is you know about nine hundred thousand. Um, so I think he could end up lower than expected. I think Makayev's gonna end up lower than expected, just based on the comparables. At least, you know that's what Myrtle was saying. Like it might be like a one point two, um, but even then, like you're gonna be at about two point one, two point two, and that's not enough for another free agent. Like y- you can't um, go like you need at least seven hundred thousand. That's the minimum. And I like there's not really a clear person to cut on this team other than like the three guys you could possibly cut, I think, would be Pierre Engvall. You could save about I think like, he's he one makes, for sure. Yeah. It's one point two five, so you know, that's another one point two five you can spend. Uh he can't play center, you look good in the playoffs, but that's an option. Um two would be Justin Hall as we alluded to earlier I'm not expecting it I don't think they're going to move from right defense unless you know they get another one back um but the third guy would be Alexander Kerfoot so you know I'm not expecting a Levo type uh, unless they make another move but what are your thoughts on like if you move a Kerfoot and I guess the two guys I want to get your thoughts on are Engvall and, and, and Kerfoot so Engvall would be like you know, you move them out, but you got to replace them. But you have one point two five to do that, and then the other one would be Kerfoot, where, uh, you know, maybe you go out and get a guy like Lucas Walmark for like two million. Uh, I don't know what he's going to cost, but I'll just throw two million out there, and then you have an extra one point five, uh, maybe combined with Engvall's one point two five to go out and get another winger. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on Engvall and Kerfoot? Well, I think. Engvall would be a lot easier just because of like there's more there's more free agents just in general that can play wing in the bottom six than there are centers so um, I think Engvall is a lot easier I think that I'm still there were people that were very high on him during his his first couple I guess months where he was playing very well but 
Uh, he just plateaued after that and really kind of kind of hit the floor after that for the last couple bit, last little bit. Um, I think he's a fourth line player right now. I think 1.2 for for a fourth line player is a little bit too much. Uh, so I think trading him would be a lot easier, and you know you do have that extra the extra cap space to get him. But when it comes to Walmart, I think that he he was very good in 2018, 2019. Um, but with him, and even last year, he was good defensively. Didn't really give too much offensively. But uh, with him, it's just the price. I think if if you're if he's at two mil, I think that's a good enough gap between him and and what Kerfoot is making to make it worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's higher than you know, if it's it's closer to three, I don't know if you're really saving that much. So that's my biggest concern with with trading Kerfoot um, and getting Walmart back. Yeah, so I think with Engvall, I do think he's the best option to be fourth-line center. Like, I think Spets is probably going to end up more in the wing, at least he did last year. Um, like, I do like Engvall. I think he's a good penalty killer. I know he had that stretch at the end of the year where it was, like, one goal in, like, 20 games or something, and the one goal was on airs. So uh, he definitely kind of plateaued offensively, but I thought he looked really good in the playoffs. Um, I thought he kind of was driving that fourth line. He looked like a big upgrade on, on Goche. I would like to keep him. Uh, but I do understand, like, if you if you move him and maybe you have like an extra three hundred thousand sitting around, maybe you can go out and get like a one point five million dollar player. Like maybe that is a Levo. Um, but I think you're kind of waiting to see what you get. You know, they'll probably wait till the end of the off season when they know what Dermot's gonna get, when they know what Mikhaev's gonna get, um, and then kind of spend the remainder. That'd be my guess. Um, you might also want some cushion in case like Robertson hits his bonuses, um, things like that, or if there's injuries. But uh, I, I do think that you know they'll keep that option open. Uh, they do have some players that can play center. Like I think Spezza would kind of be the the default in that scenario, and then you can kind of move up someone like Adam Brooks or Dennis Malgin or, or Boyd uh, to play there, or even Batan played a lot of center for the Marlies. Um, you know I wouldn't hate that idea. I'm not too against it. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll kind of wait and see with Engvall. Kerfoot, I'm kind of interested in. Uh, I think he's a fine center. I think he's, uh, you know, a, a perfectly competent third line center. I do think that, you know, Walmark's pretty good. I, th- I don't think he's good as uh, good of a playmaker. I don't think he's as good as in, in transition. But you know, good defensively. Um, he's got a better shot than Kerfoot. Uh, he's a bit bigger than Kerfoot. Uh, you know, I'd be interested. I got to do a little bit more homework on him, but uh, if he's around like the 1.5 to 2 range, and then you have an extra 1.5 to spend, and then like I'm kind of curious. I think the questions are like A, what does Walmart cost? And B, what does Kerfa get you back in a trade? Because if you can get a good young player on their entry level contract coming back um, to play on the left side, I, I think that, you know, the deal could work. Obviously, if you got a, a haul like you did for Kapanen, I'd certainly be interested, um, but it is a, he is a tough player to replace. If you're going to trade him, I definitely think you have to get a Walmart type or, or like a Hala type. If I don't know how expensive Hala is going to be, but um, just because the center market, the free agent center market, is so weak right now, um, if you got a team like New York or, or you know any team like that, there's tons of teams that could use a center, um, and, and Kerfoot's pretty flexible in terms of playing wing and playing center. I would at least consider it, but. Um, I do expect, I, I guess I expect one of Engvall or, or Kerfoot to get moved because I do think that they're, you know, one middle six forward short. Yeah, I think that's their biggest concern right now. 
is especially yeah. after that Columbus series. It's it's definitely their biggest concern, which is which is cr- crazy after spending so many years talking about how good this forward depth is and and how how weak their defense depth is. One, you know, one or two signings on defense and they look pretty good right now. Yeah. So I think um you know, and it's not the worst thing in the world if if this is the roster and you address it at the deadline, like you accumulate some cap space throughout the year and you know, I'm sure, I'm 100% sure there's going to be a middle six winger available at the deadline. So, you know, you could go that route. Um, any last thoughts on, on the roster before we move to the draft, Nick? I think they're a better team. I, I, just in terms of how much TJ Brody's going to be playing and, and obviously how important it is to have a good top four. But, you know, losing Kapanen and using Janssen and not really getting any immediate help up front, I think does hurt them quite a bit. Um, but I think just the just how much better their defense is is definitely over that. But um, I don't think it's as big as what people think it is. I, I still think they have a lot of work to do uh, to fix that bottom six. I think they just are a player short. It's just you know it's tough to address because if you move Kerfoot out, then you got to get another guy in, right? So uh, exactly. I will say that it's nice to kind of see something different. Like I didn't want to see them go back with you know the same holes and the same problems. Um, I I. I Obviously, the big thing is is going to be Brody because, you know, I I because of his impacts year to year have been kind of inconsistent. Uh, I'm a little nervous, but I do think that you know if he's as good as expected, um, then they are going to be a better team for sure. Just because you know you go from, you know, Tyson Berry's defense to to someone like Brody, I think that should be a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good advantage. And I guess the other thing is like Kapanen and Janssen weren't too good last year, anyways. Uh, and the other thing I expect them to approve big time would be the goaltending. So, uh, you know, Anderson had a bit of a down year. We all know what happened with Michael Hutchison. Uh, their goaltending seems bound to be better, knock on wood. But I do think this is a better team. Uh, we'll see how much better based on kind of their last moves here for the rest of the offseason. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask one thing. I know you, our list was Justin Hall, Kerfoot, and Engvall in terms of cutting salary. Uh, cutting cap, sorry. Do you think there's a chance that they still move Frederick Anderson and look for a different goalie, or, or are you pretty convinced based on, I guess, Dubas's comments that Anderson will be back next year? I think he's back next year. I think uh, it's it's just very tough, and I think Dubas said something similar, and I agree with him. Is It's just very tough to move out his $5 million cap hit and get as good of a goalie or better for that same price. So, you know, I... Unless, like, Arizona's going to retain on, like, Kemper, uh, which I don't see happening, then I, I think he's here to stay. Um, I think he's a pretty good goalie. I know he had a bit of a down season, but uh, I, I'm not expecting them to do that. I think just because the market, too, like, the goaltending market is, is the free agent market's completely empty right now. Um, so you'd have to get another goalie via trade. I don't know what that's going to cost you. Uh, I think that if they were going to go that route, they probably would have done it. Uh, early and just got on in on the free got in on the free agent market. Yeah, I know that before I was definitely on the train of trading Anderson and going a different route. Now I don't know if I really changed that per se. Like I still think that taking him into the last year is going to be risky. But now I've kind of done some extra research, looking at the the market for next year during uh, for goalies. So and I I, I guess. It is something that they they probably did look at, and just 
based on what deals other goalies are getting and and kind of how the dominoes have fallen i've kind of like i don't mind that they're bringing him back um i think obviously he has a very large sample of being a good goalie and and you just hope that last year was an outlier so uh, and, I'm, and i'm obviously rooting for him i mean this is a guy that's been on the leafs for a long time so um but i, I do think there is some risk bringing him into that last year but it's not something that's you know the worst I, I do expect jack campbell to play a lot more this year um it seems like they're they're very high on him so hopefully they can kind of lower anderson's workload and, and keep him fresh for the playoffs okay so yeah i think uh i think we touched on the roster pretty good here hopefully there's not a a deal in the next you know half hour that ruins the podcast well, hopefully not it, we're gonna we're gonna finish recording it it's gonna be like mitch marner's been traded um but i think at this point we can podcast i know <laughs> we'll have to have an emergency we might hopefully we don't have to have an emergency podcast during the podcast because that's uh like inception yeah, that's, a, or that's a twitch that's a that's a twist though yeah i guess so Viewers okay let's move that. on let's move on to the draft um feels like it's been forever ago it's based on the, on the deals um first round pick rodion amirov uh, which they got in the Kapanen deal. They also traded down in the second round to get uh, a late second and early third. Uh, Nick, I know you had Amirov going to uh, the Leafs in your in your TLN mock draft. Uh, this is a guy I wanted for for months. I, I said I think back in May I thought he was going to be one of the you know he thought he was a more, one of the more underrated players in the first round. I thought he should have got more top ten consideration. Um, what are your thoughts on I guess? both Amirov and, and just the Leafs draft overall. Yeah, I think definitely you put me on the Amirov train at the beginning. Uh, I remember back then when you were talking about him, and, and it kind of, once once the Leafs got this pick, it definitely got me a lot more interested in the draft. But uh, Amirov, just, it just made sense that the Leafs were going to get him. I think that this year, the consensus 11, um, it seemed like there, were, there was just such a gap between the, that consensus 11 and, and the 12th pick. Um, I guess 12 if you include Jack Quinn, um, that there was, a, I guess, a lower chance than in past years for a really good player to drop. So um, Amirov just kind of fits that that skill set that the Leafs have always kind of looked for in draft players. Guys that kind of do everything well. They have a lot of tools in their toolbox, and, and their player IQ and, and the way that they use those tools is really what drives their value. And I think that Amirov's ability to play with and without the puck is he's a very smart player that makes a lot of little plays that really positively benefit his team. So I really like the pick. I was really excited. I know that a lot of people, well, actually right before the panel was talking about how the Leafs should get Braden Schneider and, and Caden Gooley. So when when Mitch Marner said Rodion Amiron's name, I was really excited. But um, I think he's just a player that has a good amount of, uh, I think he's good enough without the puck and, and on the forecheck and defensively that I think he's a pretty safe player that he's going to, you know, get to the NHL and, and be a good good player in the NHL. And he has enough skill that that, that ceiling kind of gets pushed up a little bit. So I love the pick. Um, I kind of made a, a personal ranking uh, myself. I didn't release it. I had him as 12. So to get him as 15, I was pretty happy with it. Uh, is that kind of where you are as well? I know that you're very high on him. Yeah, so Amirov is a player who, like, throughout the year, I'd be talking to uh, Scouching. So Will Scouch, uh, if if you're listening to this and you don't know who that is, I would definitely search Scouching on YouTube because uh, he's just got a great channel. And I think back at, like, the player we probably talked the most about was Amirov because we just both seem to be huge Amirov fans. 
Uh, it seemed like every 10th message to each other was like, just like, I love Amirov. Um, we were kind of expect like when they leave Scott the pick, this is the guy I was kind of hoping for. I said it right off the bat. Um, obviously there was a chance that like, you never know what the draft, maybe like a Marco Rossi falls or something like that. And, and I would have considered someone else, but you know, I said ahead of the draft, I was, I was hoping for either Jarvis or Amirov. Um, you know, when, when he got picked, they made it sound like he was Seth Jarvis. Like Jarvis is a player who's like undersized, but a really good score, really good skill that seems bound to score. Um, and, and I would have picked him cause I think he's going to score a lot. Like I'm pretty confident in that, but Amirov's not like that. He's he's six one. Uh, he's really fast. I just think he's very projectable. Like uh, he's a good two way forward. He gets a lot of takeaways because he's fast and he, he's kind of lengthy. Uh, he doesn't have to play on your top power play to be successful. Uh, he's he's o- on the older end of this draft. I think the Leafs are looking at players who are quicker to the NHL because you know they, they know they're they're going to be in the cap crunch and they're going to need those entry level contracts. Um, and he can penalty kill. Uh, he's been a good player for Russia. Like when he's with Bud Coles and like Lookout, um, he's a g- really good transition player. Uh, again, the skating is is clearly there. I think the knocks on him are actually his scoring. To be honest, like he doesn't have an amazing shot. He's not an amazing playmaker, but he's just a well-rounded player that plays winning hockey. I think he's going to help the Leafs. I think they've they've needed two way forwards. Uh, I'm pretty confident he's going to be better than Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, I had him. I ended up I think having him at twelve. I actually had him ahead of Jake Sanderson. Uh, I really wanted to put him in my top 10. Such a tough draft to do that because it was so deep. But I think in the average year, this is a guy I'd I'd have in my top 10. I think he's going to be a real good player who, you know, if he puts up 60 points, I think he'll be, you know, maybe 50 points, maybe 60 points. But I think he's going to be, like, even better than than what the point totals indicate because I think he's just a complete player. Uh, I've been watching him in the KHL for, for UFA. He plays with Shostakov, though Shostakov's been out of the lineup lately. Um, and, and he's already playing, like, uh, they are they do have injuries over there, but uh, he's already playing, like, 21-plus minutes a night, which is just crazy for a player this age. Um, and, and, like, in the KHL, it's tough for young players to break in. Let's just say that. So I think he's going to be really good at the World Juniors. Uh, I think he's, he's going to be a well-rounded player that makes the NHL pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited. Uh, obviously, this is the guy I wanted, and they took my guy. So, uh, I, you know, can't really knock the first-round pick too much. Yeah, and, and when it comes to the rest of the draft, um, I won't really go in-depth, you know, on each player. But um, one thing that I just was happy to see was that the Leafs overall, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just their overall route that they go and their overall strategy um, hasn't really changed in the last couple of years. It's 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 one thing to draft for positional need, but I mean you've probably heard it over and over again over the last week since the draft, uh, especially in Leafs Nation. It's you, you got to draft best player available, and you also need to draft the player that you think is going to project to give you the most value over the next couple of years, whether that is to actually make it to the NHL or just trade value in the future. Like it, It's not a foregone conclusion that these guys are going to be making it to the NHL or even the AHL and being good in the AHL. Um, you know, they're, the player that they are today and the player that they are in three years is very, very different. So it was just nice to see that the Leafs are, are still drafting for skills, still drafting the best player right now and the best player that they can in the future. Uh, a guy like Ro- Roni Hirvanen, gonna get that out of my mouth there but uh, uh a player that you know I, I love his stick handling i love his mobility 
Um, just such a shifty player. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, and then uh, I'll also say Evchinikov is another guy that, you know, another undersized guy that uh, has a really offensive skill set. They got him in, was it the fourth round or the fifth round? Now I can't even remember. Uh, they got him but, in the fifth. Um, in the fifth, yeah. So another guy that they're just kind of swinging for the fences. Um, I actually, when I was doing my draft research before the draft, his name kind of jumped out as me to me just because kind of sounds like Ovechkin plus Shoshnikov put together. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I, I was just happy that they, they didn't go, you know, completely change their draft strategy because from 2014 to 2017 or 16, you know, the Leafs really got outdrafted by, by teams like Boston and teams like Tampa. Um, and it looks a lot more promising since Dubis and, and this management has taken over in terms of their draft. So, um, I wanted to get your opinion on Villeneuve, though, because I didn't know anything really at all about him before the draft, and just reading about him after the draft, it seems like some different people have different opinions on him. Um, what is your opinion on him? So, with Villeneuve, I actually watched him today, so um, I don't have, like... recency bias. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's interesting. Like, his skating stride looks awkward, and I think that could hold him back, like... I know, and I know Justin Bourne said something like this, like, it, there's so many of these prospects where if, if they improve their skating, they got a chance. But improving your skating is, is much easier said than done. Like, I feel like if I, if, if myself was a much better skater, like, I would have been a much, much, much better hockey player. I think that kind of goes to, like, for most prospects. Um, you know, he was on the weaker end. He looks fine. He, he plays with with Pori often. Uh, obviously, like, I, I, I tweeted about Villeneuve after the draft. It got, like, a surprising amount of, like, retweets because I think people saw that, like, he led his team in scoring last year. He's a good... He's a right-shooting defenseman. He's not overly small. Uh, I do think that, you know, in the fourth round at 122, you know, good pick. I had him at, like, 62. Um, but I do think he's a player with some flaws. It's not a player I would have taken in the first two rounds for sure. Wouldn't have taken him in the third round just because there would have been better players available. But, you know, towards the end of the fourth, you know, sure. It's a, it's a reasonable gamble. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I wouldn't say he's my favorite pick of the day, but, you know, he's a, he's a fine player who, you know, if they can really help him with the skating, with Barb Underhill, uh, maybe, maybe, they, uh, maybe they get something there. But just looking, and I know as you, you were saying there, like how badly they got out drafted, like, I'm going to ignore Dermott because he was basically a first. He was 34th. But if we, if we talk about all the non-first rounders, like Bracco, Nielsen, Dezirkles, Lindgren, Timoshev, Deroche, uh, Korsalev, that was 15. And then you go Korshkov, Grunstrom, Wall, Greenway, Brooks, Middleton, Bobolev, Walker, Matinin, Shabakin. I don't even know how to say that name. Um, and then Rassanen, Scott, Kara, Gordiev, McGregor, O'Connell. Like Those are looking like brutal drafts. Um, and I remember Rastanen, like I watched him in the OHL that year and I was like, I would not take this guy like in the top four rounds. And then sure enough, that was their second round pick. So th I thought they did struggle those years, as you said, uh, I liked their draft last year. Um, you know, Kokkinen was obviously Robertson looked like a steal. Um, I really liked the Bramov. I had him in my top 62, just inside. I actually had Coster in my top 62, just inside. He went 146th. Uh, Lopinen's a, a fine player. Uh, Abruzzese I didn't really know a lot about back then, but he, he's obviously looking like a pretty good pick so far. 
So that, like, 2019 looks like a great draft, and I do think that they had a good year this year. So uh, what I really liked, obviously Amirov, because I wanted him forever. I, I kind of said going in that whoever took him, he's going to be one of my favorite picks. But they had the 44th pick, and they traded down and basically got, like, they basically doubled the 44th pick. Like, I would have gladly, if you told me at the start of the day that they were going to take Hervin in at 44, I'd be happy. If you told me they were going to take Topi Nimala at 44, I'd be happy. Like, those are good second-round picks, like middle of the second. Maybe not, like, right after, like right at the start of the second because you have guys like Goonler who, um, you know, should have been first-round picks. But I had Hervin in my 20s at one point, like 21. And I remember talking to Scouch, and I went back and looked at the messages. Like, I was considering actually moving him into my top 20. And I kind of got, uh, towards the draft, I kind of started thinking, like, you got to kind of go more a little bit more for upside um just because you know i, I think in the first round you kind of got to take more risks but at 59 like uh, hervin is a player who he's hard-nosed he goes to net he's really shifty he's got some skill he's been one of the best players for, for finland over the years um you know I, I think this is a guy i was expecting him to be like a top 45 type to get him at 59 is perfect um, so a nice pick. I think the Leafs at this stage, when they already have their kind of skilled stars, can, can kind of afford to go the safer route. Um, and then Nimala is a player who, you know, I know people wanted Schneider and, and like Gooley, but like Schneider specifically had in the 30s. I think I had Nimala like two spots after him. Uh, Nimala has been a, a really good player. He played, he was really impressive at the Five Nations tournament. Um, so he was basically Finland's power play quarterback. He was on their top penalty kill unit. Uh, he's a very good skater. Skating is not going to hold him back. Uh, he's not like he's not small. He's five eleven, I think, or six feet. Like he's around that age. Like he's kind of average, um, but he, he's almost like a Dermot type, I guess, with a transition defense very strong. He's a pretty good puck mover. As I said, like he was he was on Finland's top power play, and he deserved to be there. Um, so I just think they're both like, and and Ottawa ended up taking Tyler Clevin, which I think is a really bad pick at forty four. So. Like that was just a no-brainer, yeah. That was a that was a no-brainer for the Leafs. So like, just the fact that I and I'll go back to like a couple months ago when we thought they were gonna have I thought they were gonna have one pick in the top 100, and that was their 44th pick. And then they they go and they get a first-round pick and a bit of a steal. Uh, they go and get uh, they basically double their second-round picks by getting Hervin in and, and Nimala. Uh, those are very close to what I would have taken at 44, anyways. And then the rest of the draft looks good to me as well. Like, I wanted a goalie at some point. Uh, this this Archer kid, I don't know how to say his last name, but he, he made his KHL debut. He's got good MHL numbers. He's not small. Like, he looks like a good pick there. Uh, Villeneuve is a perfectly reasonable gamble at 122. Uh, Ovi, uh, Ovi, uh, I cannot say this name. Ochinikov. There we go. Um, I didn't know I couldn't say his name. I tried to say it now. I just couldn't do it. Um with him, I think, like, he was a player I was seriously considering in my top 62. I actually had watched him play because all the MHL games are on YouTube. Um, and, and I just didn't see him enough. Like, it's tough to evaluate just off the MHL. It's just a tough lead to kind of get a read on. Um, and he hasn't played for Russia in best on best. But this is a guy with, like, a ridiculous highlight reel, really skilled, looks really quick. I know Scouching did a video on him. I know Draft Dynasty did a video on him. And, like... They do these. They do videos on this guys for a reason, right? Like they're not taking a random guy from the MHL who's never played for Russia and doing a video on him because 
you know, for no particular reason. I think the skill and the highlights really stand out. I think that's a great gamble in the fifth round. Um, like these are the lottery tickets you want, right? Guys with some scoring upside. Uh, VT Metsinen's been a really good player for Finland um, throughout the year. The only reason he didn't play pro this year is because he's going the NCAA route, so uh, he wanted to keep that eligibility. But you know, he's a guy that shoots like crazy. Uh, he's got a good shot. He's undersized. Like the physical tools, the skating, and, and the size aren't really, you know, they're not ideal. But I was not expecting him to be a fifth, sixth round pick. I thought he was going to be like a fourth round pick, and a pretty good fourth round pick. So. Uh, I don't know much about like Rendell Miller, uh, John Fusco. I, I don't know what, how to say Wyatt's last name or, or, or Turvberg here. Probably botching those pronunciations. I don't know much about their other, you know, six and seven round picks. But all in all, like you look at the picks they have and the players they take, and and like this was a very very good draft. Uh, probably one of my top five drafts if I had to compare every team. So definitely a uh, a good sign, I guess, for the future. Yeah, and I'm glad that you touched upon each of those players there because like draft I feel like sometimes we kind of look at the draft, especially with past managements, and it's like, okay, you drafted Matthews and then the rest of the rounds, like if they pan out, they pan out. If they don't, whatever. But like just going back to, to how we were out drafted by Tampa and Boston, like I tweeted a few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago now. Um, the post first round draft picks with over a hundred NHL games played from 2014-2015, so this is both those drafts, 2014-2015, um, and NHL games isn't everything. Like that's, you know, not a, a direct correlation to how good a hockey player is. But you know, in 2014, Tampa drafts Braden Point with their third round. They get Sorelli in 2015 with their third round pick, and then Joseph in 2015, fourth round pick. So those are guys that they drafted after the first round who have now played over 100 NHL games for them. Boston had Donato in second round in 2014, Danton Heinen 2014, fourth round, and Bork 2014, fifth round, and then Brendan Carlo 2015, second round. The Leafs have one player, and that's Travis Dermott in 2015, second round. And like if you like you said, like if you look at the other picks in those two drafts, like it doesn't look like any of them are gonna really even touch 100 NHL games. Like maybe Dmitry Timoshov. And then after that, it's like Bracco doesn't look very good right now. And maybe Adam Brooks, maybe Carl Grundstrom, and maybe Igor Korshkov. Those are the only ones that really could do it. Um, so I think it's just really important, those those rounds after the first round. Um, but, you know, drafts are, you know, only kind of come into fruition in like four or five years. So, um you know, I think the current Leafs team is kind of a snapshot of, of those drafts from, from 2015 to 2016 um, and onwards. So, you know, these good drafts, are it's, it's only going to bode well for the Leafs in the future. And I, I definitely think that they outdrafted Boston and Tampa, for example, this um, this draft. Yeah, I think it's definitely an encouraging sign. Um, and that, like, Dermot was the 34th pick. He, at that point, you're getting a likely first rounder. Um, and I... I Aho went the next pick. Oh, that, so that was actually going to be my trivia question of who who was the pick after Travis Dermott. Wow, uh, I'm ahead of you here. That's... And then uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I could like name a whole first round of the draft. Maybe we'll do that another time. Like just give me the year. If it's the last four, I can almost. That do might it. be the whole podcast. It might have to be. It's my <laughs> my special talent, I guess. But uh, 
like you don't draft for need in the NHL draft. Dubas said this on Tim and Sid actually, but like it's pretty clear common sense. Like you you draft Lilligren in 2017 because you need help on the right side in 2020. Like you you, you don't you sign Bogosian. I tweeted this. You sign Bogosian for one year at one million. You don't try to use your first round pick to draft the next Bogosian. Like. You, you have to, look, like, you can't just, and a lot of people do this, and I, I get, like, you're not going to go watch, you know, MHL hockey to see Amirov. I get that not a lot of people are going to do that, but you can't just look at, like, position, height, weight, and have a good reading of a player. Uh, I w- definitely wanted a forward in the first pick. Um, you know, you look at someone like Rassanen, and it's like, yeah, that guy would fit their needs perfectly if he was good. Um, <laughs> but, like, you don't, you don't, use your first round pick on Rassen and think he's going to help them, you know, next year. Like the Leafs need, they had a clear need for a right shooting top four defenseman now. Like they can't wait three, four years for that to happen. They needed it now. Um, They went and did that through free agency as expected. I was telling people after the draft, like if you're expecting to get that, you're three days too early because free agency starts Friday. Uh, But I guess it is just good to see kind of like, the Leafs taking players who I liked, who I wanted. Uh, they got a lot of good value, I think, in, in the later rounds. Um, I only really know up to, to pick 168, and uh, I think they, they really hit a home run on, on all of those picks. Maybe not the best draft. I don't know. There were some other teams that, that really had good drafts. Uh, obviously, they didn't have the same draft capital as a team like Ottawa, but uh, they really did a good job with what they had, and, uh, you know, Nick, let's just hope they can round up the roster here and, and call out a great offseason. Yeah, I hope that, you know, in our next podcast, they kind of, you know, may, I don't know, it, it feels like they're not done yet. Like, there's still some business to be done. Uh, so I, I feel like we're going to have something to talk about, whether it's next week or the week after. Yeah, and it sounds like Petrangelo is likely going to Vegas, so maybe we can talk about that. But yeah, uh, Surprise, hope, surprise. Hopefully we have some some more news, some more lease news in the next in the next week. Uh, It seems like we will, and uh, we'll see everyone shortly. Thanks for listening.